And welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half-hour program where you do work on your show. Not on your show, you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd. Thank you for joining us once again here in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM in the glorious sunny day of Sydney. I'm not sure how sunny it's going to remain, so enjoy it while it lasts because we're in the spate of a bit of cold weather at the moment and uh, we are enjoying, I guess, the coolness, the wet the garden's getting a bit of a water. I remember when we were growing up that um, we used to say we need it for the farmers. <laughs> We've stopped thinking about the farmers. We've become a little bit more selfish and now we think of our own gardens. So that's a little bit of a change in society. Now, today we are talking about security. Uh, now, when I say security with small business, what might pop into your head straight away is cyber security because that is greatly in the news. We're thinking about it. We're talking about it. We're becoming more conscious and aware of it. But there's a hell of a lot more to security in your business than just whether or not someone can hack into your computer. And today we're going to talk about all those risks, um, maybe your failures and what you need to be aware of. And I really want you to be able to walk away from today's show with a bit of a checklist of things you need to check out in your business and who to seek for help about that. So online security is is a pretty big risk. Uh, And, you know, we're all wedded to the online world. There's viruses, there's hoaxes, there's scammers, there's fraudsters, um, and sometimes even our own staff. But um, are we really losing sight of what's at risk? What about security? What about loss? of equipment? What about theft, destruction um, and issues with the bricks and mortar of your business? And I'm not just talking about those of you who are shop fronts, but in fact, all of us have assets that we do need to protect and be conscious of. And importantly, what is at stake if you lose everything, if there is something as catastrophic as a fire or a flood and all of your equipment is lost? Um, Sure, you can say that it's okay, I'm insured, but why would you put yourself at risk in the first place? What can you do to mediate that risk in your business? Daniel Lukovitz is a self-confessed security evangelist and CEO of Calamity Monitoring. He's here today to help us with one of those experts who really knows their field and knows the risk to business probably from a first-hand level. He has quite an interesting background as well at what led him into IT and security and uh, we're looking forward to talking to him on the show today. Welcome to the program, Daniel. Hi, Lexi. It's fantastic to be talking about something that's so important to everybody and yet it's simultaneously one of those things that people don't seem to give a lot of thought to until they've had a problem. So it's great to be getting on the front foot and helping your listeners actually realise that there are some things they probably should be devoting a bit of brain power to. That's right. And, and a lot of things, you know, we don't we don't think about everything all the time and I would, I would say... Uh, that probably most of the listeners are thinking this is at the bottom of the list perhaps that's not just cyber security but actually security is not something that we think about because I guess insurance is a bit of a band-aid fix for these things and it puts our mind at ease but you know you don't think about that what happens when everything is gone and what effect that has on your business. I've never sat at a dinner party discussing such exciting topics as insurance because, like security, it's just one of those things that it doesn't excite people, it's not sexy, people don't think about it until all of a sudden something bad happens. And then the worst case is they actually wish they'd had it, they wish they'd thought about it, they wish they'd attended a dinner party chock full of security professionals and insurance (laughs) people and wouldn't that be a fun night out? (laughs) And unfortunately, people only learn these lessons the hard way. And insurance is an example that most people are familiar with because you pay your money every month and you don't give it any further thought. Mm. And then, of course, one day when something bad happens, you call the insurer and they're supposed to give you money. Now, of course, everybody also knows stories where an insurance claim wasn't paid out because with most insurance, you never truly know if you're insured till it actually comes time to make a claim. Mm. 
And then that's when suddenly the cracks start appearing. And so security and overall risk management fit into the same environment. And it's not necessarily a difficult thing to do, but it's a very important thing to do. And it does require a bit of thought. And why is it that, like everything, you know, we can't wear all the hats all the time? Why do you think it's important that someone engages with an expert such as yourself? Because I guess we can't think of all the possible scenarios. And if you're in the industry and you've seen it all and you've been there and you've done that, then you're in a better position to be able to really recognise the risks. I want to come back to what you were you were saying um, when we met up for coffee that day um, with your background. Now, tell me a little bit about what led you into this um into this field? Sure. Well, my childhood was spent as, you know, what was then known as a computer whiz and you'd spend a lot of time fixing... Carmen Sandiego? Oh, yes, yeah. We, <laughs> we, we, we played that on the Apple TV and uh, uh, would spend a lot of time, you know, fixing people's computers and doing all those sorts of things. So I grew up with technology. I was probably the first kid at my public school who ever brought a laptop there and we're talking a very long time ago. Um, and so I was interested in tech and I was studying tech at university or IT as it was then called Um, but for the benefit of everybody on radio who probably couldn't work it out I'm about six foot six um, or two meters I'm a big unit so (laughs) at the same time as I was going through university I also fell into the security industry because a lot of people don't realize this security is a fantastic second job because it's 24 hours a day there's work available in every town and every city right across the whole country so I was doing this physical security thing which was you know sometimes as uh, exciting as standing out the front of a pub or something like that while I was studying technology and later on I ended up working for a large consulting firm that was involved in IT security now it's interesting the terminology has changed Um, it was called IT or information security 20 years ago and now that's uh, called cyber. Mm. And funnily enough, 20 years ago, cyber was what you'd call uh, having online sex in a chat room uh, <laughs> on, the, on the computer. Or what so, Star Trek had when they had their borgs. Well that's, well, well, that's right. So, you know, buzzwords come and go and, and things change. And one of the interesting things you brought up was that everybody now seems to think about cyber security as a risk, which is interesting because 10 years ago, when you spoke to people about security, the natural image that conjured up in their mind was of a man in a balaclava with a shotgun Mm. holding up a bank or something and that's what people thought security was so they were concentrating then on physical security to the total exclusion of computer security even though fundamentally all you're doing is protecting assets and it doesn't matter if those assets are information on a computer or it's cash in a drawer or it's your staff or it's your entire business operations so these trends and these fads within risk management come and go But interestingly, most of these concepts are actually hundreds if not thousands of years old. The ideas of defence or warfare or protection have not changed in a very, very long time. The only thing that really changes is the the tools or the techniques or the methods that we use to protect ourselves. And, you know, to my frustration, you can no longer tip boiling oil down the wall of your attackers. You have to use a much more conservative approach in protection. Yeah, otherwise, unless you're in a Game of Thrones set, of course. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that... Um, that background, that IT background and the security background, why is it important that when you're thinking about um, protecting your business that you have to be conscious of both sides? Like to me, I'm still, and I probably will stop doing this by the end of the program, but I'm siloing IT security and actually the defence, for want of a better word, uh, of your assets into two different sections. Um, why is it important to be aware of both of those parts, 
do you think we're thinking too much about cybersecurity now and we're forgetting about our assets or are assets just not relevant anymore? Well, I think you probably need to think about all of these things, but the risk and the various threats that face your assets vary from business to business. So I suppose I'll start with an example of a bank, Mm. even though it's probably not relevant to most of the listeners, but it's certainly one that they're familiar with. Mm. Now, banks traditionally protected themselves against armed hold-ups, so they had fly-up screens or they had ballistic protection glass uh, in front of the counters, they had safes to keep large quantities of cash in, they had hold-up buttons, they had cameras and so forth. So if you had a bank branch that was completely immune to hold-up, but criminals could still come in over the wire from another country into their network and steal millions and millions of dollars, that would be a flawed approach to risk management because, yes, it's true that no one could steal 20 grand in cash over the counter on a Tuesday afternoon, but millions of dollars could be leaving out the back door. So the other example would be uh, a data centre, for example. In my background as as an IT security auditor, uh, I would go to data centres and I'd have someone there say to me, um, well, these are our servers and this is our encryption and these are our firewalls and these are our procedures and everything is backed up and encrypted and protected and passwords and it's authenticated and it's fantastic. (laughs) And then I'd say, but what about that exit door there that wouldn't stand up to a well-aimed kick, if someone could just come straight into this room and steal that server, yep. you actually have no security. And there was a, a case a number of years ago where the uh, Australian, it was either the Australian Tax Office or Customs had a massive server, and we're talking something the size of a small dinner table, literally wheeled out of a data centre, and no one even knew it was gone. So that's a total security failure. So you mm. have to look at both of these things. But then if we zoom in a little bit to, say, a small business... And I meet small business owners all the time who say, well, no one's going to rob us. Well, you know, we're not a bank. We don't have cash or we make furniture or we're a bookkeeping firm or something like that. They go, well, that's not an issue for me. And I go, OK, well, let's look at what are the risks that face your business. So if we're talking about cyber, um, as you'll be well aware, a lot of people are now moving their accounting software to cloud-hosted online um, software platforms. So you would need to think, okay, well, what's a risk to me? Um, there's a risk of that data being stolen. There's a risk of it not being encrypted. And perhaps you manage that risk by just saying, well, we trust whoever this provider is and we pay them money and we rely on them to get it done. And transferring risk is a perfectly good way to do it. But the other thing you might want to think about is, okay, how important is this to our business? This is the tool that we use to generate invoices, to bring cash flow into our business. So what happened if our internet went down tomorrow and we had no ability to issue invoices or to pay the staff? That's the sort of thing that could actually see a business destroyed. Now, that is as relevant to security and to risk management as the idea of someone kicking in the door and pointing a shotgun in your face. But Mm. because people have all of these sort of preconceived notions of security, so security for many people might mean 200 kilos of big bloke standing out the front of a pub and that's what they think security is. Um, It's actually not. Security is about identifying what are the things you're trying to protect, your Mm. assets, whether Mm. they're people, whether it's information, whether it's your business model, what are the threats that face those assets, whether it is the obvious ones, theft, um, hold-up, violence, terrorism, um, or some of the less obvious ones are power failure, environmental catastrophe, business failure, uh, information theft, uh, industrial action and so forth. And then deciding, okay, well, the assets are worth this, therefore we're happy to spend this much time, money, effort, brain power on protecting it. Or alternatively, you might decide, you know what, I'm actually comfortable with that. For example, you're a small corner store. Yes, is terrorism a risk? 
for sure. Is it something you're probably going to lose sleep over? No, it's not. So we can set that aside. But you could be a corner butcher store, for example, and you're not worried about fault. You're not worried about hold up. You're not worried about cyber attack because you've just got a small website. But if the electricity failed to your business and you'd lost $250,000 worth of meat, on the one hand, that's insured and you'll get a check for that. But on the other hand, if it took you three weeks mm-hmm. to replace all of that, all of your customers are going to decide to go to another butcher. So your whole business could fail. And even though the insurance company will give you a check for that, you're actually out of business. So these are things that people need to think about before they have problems in their business. And really, it just comes down to thinking about what are we trying to protect and what are the bad things that can happen. And if you just go through that thought process, which doesn't take a lot of time, you can then start coming up with countermeasures to mitigate those threats and manage that risk in a way that actually lets you get to sleep at night. And anyone who's ever run a small business knows that sleep's a pretty precious commodity, so you don't want to be up at 11 o'clock at night fretting over whether your business is going to be there on Monday morning. Now, you, you raise a lot of really good points there because um, what I find quite fascinating is that it is, it's multifaceted, isn't it? It's the risk is, is, um, is across a few different platforms, a few different things that you need to think about, but then the solution or the way that you sleep at night or the, the way to mitigate that risk is also... I guess, spread out over a few different methods as well. It's kind of like um, when you were saying that, I was thinking of the old pick-a-path books. You know, if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, what do we do? Where does it lead? What's the worst-case scenario? What's the best-case scenario? And I think if, uh, I guess, if you sit there with some butcher paper, if you're one of those people that's quite creative and likes to use texters, you could sit there and write down what the risks are, what the solution is, and what you're happy to live with to fix it because obviously we can all throw a lot of money at insurance and be instantly sorted out even to the point of loss of income but is that going to mitigate the stress or um, we don't really have unlimited funds to insure ourselves for every possible criteria so I guess you need to prioritize as well how what what would be your top tip for for businesses trying to prioritize what the biggest risk is is it a matter of just sitting down for your each individual business well You've summed up a good approach of doing it, and even though I'm someone who probably can't draw a straight line, so butcher <laughs> paper's not my style, um, it certainly is a good one. But what I'd also tell people is that after you've done that exercise, come back to it every six months to a year because your environment changes, risks change. Um, I was an expert witness uh, in a matter a few years ago where there was a large factory fire. And, of course, the insurer was trying to get out of it because it was worth millions and millions of dollars to them. And essentially what had happened is all the fire protection that was put in on day one in that building um, was perfectly fine on day one. But a few years later, when suddenly people were storing very, very flammable and volatile things in there, their risk profile had actually changed. But no one had thought about that until they suffered a catastrophic loss. So the top tip here is actually really, really boring. And it's just simply this. Think about it. And then you can decide to do something about it because all of this stuff is really easily ignored. We live in a relatively safe environment. Australia is a wonderful country. We don't really have severe weather events, so we're not really prepared to deal with um, flooding, fire, hurricanes. Not yet. Hurricanes. Give it time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, cer- certainly not during this broadcast, and we're not going to... Uh, and, uh, you know, so if you look at certain countries, they're used to dealing with mm. hurricanes and tornado events. So, um, you know, in parts of America, for example, they, they will have shelters. They will have um, a week's Yes, because worth your of- entire business could get picked up and thrown to the next Correct. And flying cows and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it looks great on film. It looks really bad when you're just trying to get a day's work done. But if I ask most Australians, um, do you keep 
some cans of food in the house? Do you keep some bottles of water in the house? They, they look at you like a nut. You're one of these sort of crazy prepper people that have nuclear fallout shelters in the backyard. But right now in Sydney, we're seeing a situation where um, people are, are overnight becoming homeless because there are engineering cracks appearing in buildings. And when you see the really tragic footage of these people essentially having to be evacuated from their home, it's very clear that they don't know what are the things they should be grabbing, what are the emergency supplies they're going to need, where do they go. And so a lot of people who have these ideas in their head that you just pick up the phone and you dial triple zero and 10 seconds later, police arrive by helicopter, ambulances are all there. People don't even keep first aid kits in their home mm. or in their business because they just assume that, you know, help is only seconds away. Well, I've got news for you. It's not always coming. So you need to be self-sufficient in these regards. And the only way that's ever going to happen is if you actually have stopped at one point thought, okay, well, what are the things that, that we need to do and so that we can just tick off the boxes, whether it's, um, you know, the obvious ones, uh, fire. Now, every business you'll go to probably has fire extinguishers and probably has sprinklers there because there was some sort of council ruling that it was required and yet I actually don't know many people who've ever had a fire in their business but fire protection has become almost as ubiquitous as air conditioning or a water cooler uh, in the corner and no one has ever decided well what's the business case for a water cooler do we really need this water cooler here? it's just one of those things that businesses seem to have and, well, secu- just, and ask yourself as well you're sitting there <clears throat> those of you are sitting there in the office looking sideways at the uh, fire extinguisher that's sitting in the corner do you know how to use it mm. in all honesty mm. in an emergency which is fairly, you know, rapid, Mm. you need a rapid response for yourself to protect your assets and you, do you know how to use that thing? Have you even read the instructions? Because I can honestly say, never picked one up, wouldn't know what to do with it, don't even know if that's the appropriate fire extinguisher for what I've got in the room. Like, should I even be having a fire extinguisher? Should it be a blanket? Should it be a blah? You know, and, and I think that that's um, a catastrophic event, and it's not all that unlikely. So I think, yeah, we, there's, there's certainly a, a, a lot of things to think about. We're just going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters and take a couple of moments to have some thoughts and some uh, sponsorship announcements. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that process is, what should you be looking in your business at and reassessing on a regular basis. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. So, Daniel, just before the break, those of you who've just tuned in, we're listening to Daniel Lukovitz from Calamity. Great name, by the way. Thank you. Love that name. Daniel's fantastic. Oh, you mean the company? <laughs> yeah, the company, the company. So, we were talking before the break about that that um, comparison you were making between the water cooler and the fire extinguisher. And basically that we give a lot of thought to whether or not we should have a water cooler, but, but that little fire extinguisher just sits in the corner gathering dust, mm. doesn't it? Well, it's not only that, but every business you've ever been to has air conditioning and has a fire extinguisher and a water cooler. And there's never, ever been a case where someone said, show me the business case for that water cooler. But a lot of the time we find when we're talking to people about increasing, for example, their physical security, they say, no, that we just can't see a return on that investment. There's no money for it. So security needs to become as basic and ubiquitous to an organisation as a water cooler is. And we're not quite there yet. That's an example I've been using for most of my career. And I think people still have it in the background until they suffer loss. And then all of a sudden they'd wish they'd done it. I hate when we receive a call from someone saying, we got robbed yesterday. Can we please talk to you about putting in some alarms or cameras or things like that? And, you know, I think if only you'd called a week earlier or every year, like clockwork, around Christmas time, we get calls from people saying, we're going away, we need alarms put in at home. 
and they don't realise that criminals actually go away over Christmas as well. <laughs> and they should have actually thought about this maybe in March or April when we're not that busy either and we can probably help them out the rest of the year round. Everybody's been watching too many Home Alone movies. Mm. <laughs> They're thinking that everything happens at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about um, before with re- regards to you know, mitigating your risk and thinking about what you need to have and doing a bit of a security audit, not only thinking about your IT, but also your your um, your cybersecurity, which we're becoming more and more aware of, but also your actual physical assets. Let's talk about preventable disasters because there is a lot of, um, I guess, data out there and information out there that what people can do to compare themselves with other businesses. Why is it important that you speak to people in your industry um, to understand what the risks are? Is that something that you recommend? Oh, absolutely. I mean, trade groups can be useful. Some are better than others in various industries. But um, one of the things we don't seem to do a lot of in this country is actually talk to your direct competitors. Uh, Besides when we catch up with them at industry events and we all lie to each other about how great our business is and how wonderful everything is and then of course you watch them slowly go out of business. Um, You don't get to talk about problems, you don't get to find out bad things that have happened until you've left a company. So it's not always easy to, to learn about these things but for the most part you can use your imagination to figure out what's going to happen. You don't need to know the specifics of your competitor's company and how their systems got breached. You just need to think, okay, well these are my systems, how would I protect against that happening and you need to just make sure that everything is current. Uh, One thing that was interesting just during the break I ducked out um, to get a glass of water and I noticed that some of your neighbours have got warning signs on the window from security companies that have been out of business for 20 years and I I used to work for one of them over uh, two decades ago Um, and criminals know that as well like they're not entirely stupid and so here's someone who probably thinks well we're all set up and they've got a system that clearly hasn't even been looked at in 20 years. Wow I never even thought of that that you could just stand outside someone's door and just google whether or not that business still exists and you're like okay there's no security here I'm just going to walk straight in. Or uh, other subtle clues for example a six-digit phone number. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's not so subtle. That that does age it well. (laughs) Let's talk about um, different tech, speaking of which, to to protect your business. I mean, obviously, the full-blown security system with personnel and everything else is probably a little bit too much for most small businesses. What's some good, um, I guess, technology solutions? If we're talking about app stacking and and all that sort of um, uh, terminology these days, what's a good solution for people to start considering to use tech to secure? Well, you make a good point about certain things are probably too much for a small business to bear and you don't need to go over the top with this stuff. If you're only protecting an asset worth $500, it actually doesn't make sense to spend $20,000 protecting it. You might be better off either insuring it or just writing it off. But what I would say, most security concepts make a lot of sense when they've been explained to you. They're pretty straightforward. However, they're not common sense. So... A lot of the time, people might just think, oh, there's a cool product on the shelf at the local retailer, and oh, look, there's a security camera, I'll go and buy that. And they haven't actually thought through some of the challenges and where this technology fails. And one of the things I tell a lot of people, they might come to my company and we quote them for, say, installing security cameras, and then they say, oh, but hang on, I was down at the local hardware store or the local electronics retailer, and I saw a camera for two hundred dollars and you're charging me a thousand dollars and what i say to them is well look up because when you look at the ceiling of that retailer the cameras that they're selling you for two hundred dollars are not the ones that they're using (laughs) up there those cameras they're really good for keeping an eye on the cat they're really good for just seeing if someone's in your waiting room but they're not a resilient security tool that's going to help you in a forensic matter if you've got a court case and so forth and the other the other way you can actually 
funnily enough, create a return on investment is by looking at this technology, not just for pure security, which is often seen as as a cost centre, it's seen as essentially throwing money away, but rather look at these things and think, okay, how can this actually help me improve my business? And this is one area where a lot of the technology now serves a dual purpose. So one example from the IT world that people are probably familiar with are firewalls and VPNs. Now, 20 years ago, um, when I was working pure IT security, I'd be saying to people, you know, you need to put a firewall across your network. And no one was interested. No one had been hacked. No one really thought about this stuff. But then the firewall vendors realised that, well, if they can turn these into a VPN appliance that now allows people to work from home, to telework, to save on international communication rates by routing things over the internet, they suddenly said to people, well, here's this box that's going to mean you need smaller office space, your staff can be more flexible, you can work internationally. Oh, and by the way, it serves double duty as a security appliance. So the same would be true if you look at, for example, a camera. Now, the benefits of cameras are obvious. They catch crime in progress. They can help you in insurance matters. You can see whether a person actually got injured or whether they're faking the whole thing. But the other thing they can do is they can help you keep an eye on the business remotely. Um, Some of the technology now is amazing. It can do people counting. It can do heat mapping. So you can actually see how many people are coming into your business. You can see which parts of a retail outlet they actually visit the most so that you might know that customers come in and they almost always turn hard right. So you need to put your high margin merchandise right there. And so that's actually a security device that's just made you a whole bunch of money if you're clever about how you do it. Now, that's not to say you should be ignoring all the security stuff and getting really excited about all this other cool stuff. I say it's a lot like um, saying to children, basically, you've got to clean your room before you get to play with your toys. So you've got to do all the really boring risk assessment and procedural writing and documentation and training and learning which fire extinguisher to use and whatever, rather than going and doing all the really cool stuff of like kicking indoors and putting in shiny new cameras and things while some idiot just forgot to lock the back door of the office when they went home at night. (laughs) Yeah, and it's about mitigating all those risks at the same time as assessing it. But I love that thought of looking at security as not only security, but also an opportunity for you to maybe have a little bit more time off. Use that technology, not because you're looking at what your staff are doing or you're, you know, creepily watching which way direction your, your customers are going, but it's actually, you're right, it's a return on investment. It gives you more data, gives you more information, less time having to watch things and more analytics that you can base your business on and hopefully grow. Um, I never thought of security aspects as being a bit of a a growth tool. It's a great way of looking at them, actually. Let's talk about benchmarks. Are there, in your experience, uh, more businesses that are at higher risk? If you've got a bricks and mortar, are you literally more likely to have loss at a security level than someone who just works from home? Is it, is it as simple as that? You've got more assets, therefore there's more risk? There is a tremendous amount of data that's compiled by law enforcement, the police, insurers and so forth. Um, in New South Wales, the Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research, or BOCSAR, B-O-C-S-A-R, uh, is a fascinating is website. That public? Is it oh, public yeah, use? it's it's it's, oh, wow. a, it's a government resource, and on those um, sleepless nights, if you want to type in your postcode and work out the likelihood of you getting robbed that night, um, sites like that are very wow. uh, are very useful. Um, there are certain uh, industries and environments that are particularly prone. One would be in industrial areas, uh, which typically become a ghost town after five pm. 
and they have warehouses that are holding huge amounts of stock, either um, tools, raw materials, uh, copper, which is something that gets stolen, metal, things like that. Um, people can go into these areas completely undisturbed. They could stand there with an angle grinder attacking a door and making all the noise in the world, which you couldn't do in a sleepy suburban street because in a suburban street, throwing a brick through someone's window is going to... Uh, is, is going to attract attention. Doing it in an industrial area, you can cut phone lines, you can cut fence lines, um, you can go in. Now, there's certainly security technology that can prevent all of this happening and really what I would tell people in any environment is you don't need to become the proverbial Fort Knox and you don't need to feel like you're living or working inside a prison, but you just need to make yourself appear as a harder target than your neighbour and there's a good chance that a criminal, given the choice between two places that have a similar amount of things worth stealing, one of them looks really hard and means there's a good chance they're going to get caught and go to prison and the other one doesn't, guess which one they're going to rob. So you don't have to become the most secure facility on earth and spend a fortune doing that but you just need to present as a hard target. And so little things like having a security warning sign from this decade uh, on the front fence, having visible cameras, alarm systems, decent perimeter protection, or even just on a home or a small business, having a decent lock on the door, making sure that that door is locked, making sure that it presents as a harder target than the neighbours, could be all you need to do. Now, the downside with all of this is when you get security right, nothing happens because, unfortunately, the criminals never leave a note saying, oh, good job, guys, we were going to rob you, <laughs> but we decided to hit the news agent down the road. So you just have to be happy inside yourself that you haven't had a problem, but by the same token, when nothing happens for a very, very long time, that can often get you to drop your guard, and that's all of a sudden when you're in a really bad situation. And I guess it's the same with anything. You know, you need to be constantly assessing. I like the way at the beginning of the program you were mentioning that you've got almost a business plan for security. You've got your business plan, you've got your marketing plan. Have you got a security plan? Like, have you just thought about those things and then reassessed it every year when the, you know, when the equipment becomes out of date or it literally stops working and you just haven't noticed it or the fire extinguisher is not going to work in an emergency situation? It's that constant reassessment, I think, that, that helps as well. Um, and if anything else, it just gives you a bit of peace of mind. And one other thing I'd say is that when you are trying to get advice on this um, from local security business or something like this. Unfortunately, the security industry itself has got a whole lot of cowboys working in it. Um, there's quite low barriers to entry and it pretty much means anyone with uh, a van and a few screwdrivers can set up a security company and once they put a few photos on their website of a impressive looking monitoring centre that they don't own... Um, there's a, there's a lot of yeah exactly stock photo there's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors there so it is actually important to know that who you're dealing with is legitimate um, our trade association ASIAL which is a s i a l dot com dot au has a list of certified monitoring providers obviously we're on that list as are a few of our competitors um, that'd be a good place to start because uh, anyone who's not on that list leaves you wide open to your insurance just going up when you go to them asking them for money and so forth and one of the things that I always get a chuckle out of is when people walk into our monitoring centre and they go, oh, it looks like the photo on the website because they just assumed that was a stock photo because it looks so cool, but it's actually the real thing. And unfortunately, there are people out there who are just completely misleading mm. their customers, which is not okay. And because you're placing a hell of a lot of trust in these people, it's very important to know 
that you're dealing with people who are trustworthy. Yeah, and, you know, professional associations are a great starting point for those sort of things, making sure that people are certified and have been in business for X number of years and I presume having to do their CPD credits and all that sort of stuff. It's a, it's an important thing to note and that's with any consultant that you use or anybody who assists you in your business. And the other thing it's very important to do is to check that they are licensed both at the company level and the individual level uh, in New South Wales and, again, it is possible to verify those licences against a public register so just because the local Sparky has a thing on the side of his van saying we do security, it may not mean that he's licensed to do so, which will become an insurance problem, but it might even mean he has a criminal history that has not been checked. So these are things that people um, need to do. Okay. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we come back after the break, we've just got to talk about what security means for us as a community as a whole. You're talking with Daniel Lukovitz from Calamity, uh, an expert in his field in IT and security, plus me, Alexi Boyd, bringing you Small Biz Matters. We will be back after this. And welcome back to Small Biz Matters here in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM and live across the community radio network around Australia. We're talking today all about IT and security and all the different facets that you need to be aware of as a small business. And it's not just a matter of cyber security, which we're becoming more aware of. You need to remember about your assets and have a think about what other people in your industry are also facing. Um, And a little bit before the break, Daniel was mentioning that it's not just a matter of uh, making sure you've done an audit, but in a way, looking at who's around you because at the end of the day a thief has a choice and you want to make sure that you're looking a little bit more secure than the next person and and you can obviously uh, pertain all of this information to your personal assets as well your home etc and it was funny uh, Daniel when you were talking before the break I just immediately thought of get a dog I mean it's sort of like it's that comparison if I'm looking at two houses they look identical Um, one has a better lock on the door the other one has people coming in you know one person has coming in and out you never know when people are going to be home and there's a dog and you don't know if that dog's going to be friendly or not and and sometimes it's just that split second decision so I guess um having that security that is better than the next guy is is one way of looking at it but not the only way although you're also going to offend half of your listeners who are going to be convinced that you should have a well-trained cat protecting (laughs) the premises instead I'm not anti-cat not at all let's talk about security as a whole for us as a community um because it's not necessarily just about everybody living behind, um, uh, you know, Fort Knox, as you described it, because that doesn't that doesn't make for um, a congenial society in which to live. And that's one of the beauty of living in Australia is that we live in a relatively safe society. And we don't have to have brick walls that are 12 feet high. Um, but the other ways that we need to think about security is, is the whole thing around crowds and disasters for us as a community or risk analysis for you because you are part of a community when you're there what do you do as a community member when something terrible happens and and assessing that so let's talk a little bit about security in in the community sure well security and self-protection is almost one of the most basic human needs Um, you know every parent cares for a child and would probably sacrifice their own life for that child um, without even thinking about it so we, we actually grow up with this need to be protected And I'm not an alarmist. I don't run around telling people that, you know, terrorists are coming and we're all going to get robbed and so forth. But bad things happen. And it's just simply important to have a plan of how you're going to deal with it. And one of the really nice things is if we just look at risk in general, and 
I'm going to use the word risk rather than security because when you talk about security, that conjures up images of, of theft and hold up and things mm, like that. Mm. But when you look at risk, you might be talking about just something like you know electrical failure or the water supply gets cut off or a, or a building starts um, slipping because of bad engineering. It's not really a security thing, but it is a, it is a risk thing and something that needs to be addressed. If you take care of certain risk, you actually tend to catch others at the same time. So in an emergency management environment, this is called an all-hazards approach. So um, if you look at, say, an evacuation plan for a building, uh, it may not make a difference whether you're evacuating because there was a fire, because there's a, a terrorist attack, or just because the hot water system on the top floor exploded and it's flooding the building and you need to get out. It's going to be the same response to a variety of risks and hazards. So you don't need to give yourself anxiety by thinking about every possible thing that's going to go wrong, you know, everything from robbery all the way up to asteroid strike. You just need to sort of pick the top 10 things that you're going to address. Uh, and, and then that's actually going to take care of a whole lot of other things. So when we talk about large crowd gatherings and so forth, I'll give you a good example. And this is one that's relevant to parents who've taken kids out into a big environment. Mm. Um, when you go out into a big environment, talk to your kids, educate them. So if you've got a child who's aged four or over, that child should know their parents' phone number. And you train your child that if you get lost in a crowd, you want to find another mummy or another daddy, and you say to the kid, well, what does a mummy and a daddy look like? And they go, oh, that's someone who's got a child. You go, yep. And you go up to them and you say, would you please call my mum? Now, you don't say, help, I'm lost, because that causes the other panic the other parent to panic but rather if your child just goes up and says can you call my mum the other parent the next question they're going to ask is sure what's your mum's phone number and the kid can know it and that's going to help you reunite with your child now something as simple as that could help that you know if there was some sort of mass casualty incident and people are running for their lives and all hell breaks loose that will help you with reunification with your family but it also helps if your kid just wanders off and gets lost. So it's the same solution to a multitude of different problems provided you've thought about that. Whereas when you have parents who lose a child and they don't even know what the kid was wearing, the kid doesn't know how to call the parent, those are people who just simply haven't planned ahead and Mm. come up with these things. Now, it's not going to make you crazy and filled with anxiety every time you go out into a crowded situation. It's just basic precaution. Take a photo of your kids so you know what they're wearing and you get a nice cute photo of the kids on a day out. Make sure they know the phone number of their parents or someone who who is always contactable via phone and you have just put yourself ahead of so many other parents who have not thought about that it's the same as something as simple as we're talking about dogs and cats putting a tag on your animal versus people who don't and end up having to put posters up all around town saying you know i've lost my dog so if you think about these things before something bad happens you go a long way to assuring that it doesn't happen, but because we live in the real world where bad things do happen, at the very least, you've got a means of recovering from that or surviving um, from a business perspective or a, or an actual perspective and just sort of being able to still get on with your life rather than spending the rest of your life wishing, gosh, if only I'd done this. I like the idea of everything being a solution and it's a solution to a multitude of problems. So the solution is always make sure you know what's make sure what what the solution is to this particular aspect but like you said it could be a solution to a multiple uh, level of disasters tell me a little bit with your insights as to what um you know the powers that be how do they, what do they think about when they're thinking about security at mass events let's let's take the royal easter show a fairly banal annual event that happens every year what 
are security, what are the security risks in that? I'm, I'm always fascinated by crowd control. I find that really interesting as, as one aspect. But what are they looking at when they're looking at, um, at security in those mass events? Um, a massive headache. Um, <laughs> one of the... Because of people? Well, I, and I, animals. I, I hate I hate to say it, but I mean a lot of the people are actually inside the security industry itself. And <laughs> one of the things that's frustrated me when I came into the industry as a university age student looking for um, you know look, looking for work, uh, a lot of people in the industry then were um, out of work actors. They were single parents. They were school teachers. They were off duty emergency services workers, and these were really bright, capable people. And one of the things that bright people are very good at doing is talking someone out of getting into a fight at the pub or telling someone not to be silly or helping someone out in an emergency. And unfortunately, over the years, the security industry has sort of devolved into um, a job of last resort for many people. So unfortunately, we're attracting people who are put in charge of large crowds at football matches, at large gatherings and so forth, who um, may not even have the basic uh, English language skills. Now, for for example, a new arrival who's got poor English would be perfectly okay in a lot of environments. The, the traditional one is taxi driving. That's one everyone's familiar with. But in an emergency role, it's very difficult to facilitate an evacuation or convey an incident over the phone to emergency services if you struggle um, with basic skills. So these are some of the issues that I've been uh, trying to impress on government and uh, and the private sector to actually think about. And in many cases, um, stadium operators uh, and large events might, or local government councils are a great example as well, just sort of contract this work out to the lowest quote, whoever's cheap. And when nothing happens, that's fantastic. But when things go wrong, it's a, it's a terrible sort of inquest or something uh, like that to, to think about. So what they should be thinking about are um, exactly the all hazards, the things that can go wrong. So it could be if you're talking about, you know, the Easter show, yeah, you know, there's there's the obvious really mundane ones. Yes, you know, there's terrorism and active armed defenders and things like that, um, you know, and, and then there's the hilarious ones like, you know, the runaway Ferris wheel that threatens to wipe out a whole suburb. And, yeah, you know, they think about that and they can cross that off. But then there's also the other ones, lost children. Mm. Um, or what happens if we actually have a, you know, a, an animal gets out of one of the pens and starts... A bit um, of a panic. Exactly. And yeah. so... So, you know, what can just be a fun day out all of a sudden can have hundreds of people moving in a, in a particular direction. Then we start getting into the, the uh, study of crowd physics and how, um, you know, people get crushed to death in crowds and but things we, like that. But we do have that data and we do have those analytics and those studies that I guess before the people element at the actual disaster point even happens, there is a lot of thought that goes into directions of crowds and, and, and emergency exits and making people aware. I mean, you only need to go to a networking event, for instance, and anybody who's doing decent house coping will go, right, there's the bathrooms, there's the emergency exit. If there's a fire, run that way. And just making people aware. And there's a lot to be said about that preparation element before the event itself where everybody's just in a sheer flap. Well, one would certainly hope that that level of thought process went into it, but I would also still be advising people to not make that assumption and ensure that they have their own plan and they have a plan for their kids and they have a plan for their friends, which is if we get split up, this will be the reunification point. Don't rely on calling or texting each other with your phones because there's a good chance that your phones are simply not going to work when all of a sudden thousands and thousands of people start calling or perhaps because of some imminent threat the mobile network is actually um, shut down in that area so you need a plan a plan b and a plan c Mm. and if you've got that plan again that puts you ahead of a whole lot of people who are just going to act like sheep and move in a particular direction and plan b is just go back to the 80s 
<laughs> plan B is see that light pole there with the big the big red light pole. That's where we're going to meet, and it's it's kind of like what we used to do because we do we become so reliant on technology yeah. as a as a safety mechanism yeah. that you can't do that particularly with kids. And like you said, I mean, you know, when when incidents happen, quite often one of the first things they do is just knock out um, the mobile phone network, it, and we might knock it out ourselves because you said, like you said, there's thousands of people in one mm. point making phone calls. And the funny and the funny thing is that you know they're now actually telling young people. If there's an incident, move away rather than pulling out your phone and videoing it so you can tweet all about it. Wow. It's unbelievable that that even happened. But it has, it has to happen. It, it's like, you know, turning your phone off at the symphony. <laughs> really? We have to tell you that? But it's like, it's, it's exactly right. You don't just pull out your phone and you make yourself safe. Um, just a couple of thoughts to think about in your everyday life when it comes to IT and security. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Daniel. We've gone right to the top of the hour. You've been an excellent guest sharing with us lots of knowledge about IT awareness, cybersecurity awareness, security awareness, um, your assets, looking at ways of auditing it in such a way that you can think about what the scenarios might be and what the solution is, both in your personal life, your business life, and just every day, um, every day walking around the community. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, tell us how we can find out more about Calamity, please. If you'd like to get in touch with me or find out more about our company, you can visit our website, calamity.com.au, or ring us on a very memorable number, 24-7 every day, 1-300-300-24-7. How'd you get that number? I asked for it. Oh. <laughs> Thank you again for coming on the program. Now, if you've missed any of today's podcast, you can, of course, catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au where there's over 150 podcasts for you to listen, educate, uh, find out more about running, helping, growing closing whatever aspect of your business we have yet to repeat a topic here on small biz matters because there's so much to learn you can also find us on itunes and wherever you get good podcasts thank you for joining me on the program today we'll be back next week with another excellent guest on small biz matters with alexi boyd we'll see you all next week